Oh. You know, I've showed that video once before and I've spoken and that time I said, I'm not going to do this again because I come out and I look and you can see, it's just dusty in here, I think. Because it is, it's such a beautiful video and maybe you remember watching it when you saw it in the movie Up or maybe that's the first time you've seen it, but even now I see eyes being dabbed around. It's, it's you know how hard it is for me to now have to come in and talk on the back of this? But it just, it works so well that video clip for this series because it's just beautiful it's this, this this wonderful couple and they grow old together and they go through tough times together and great times together and 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 you you, you see all that and i think the reason it works so well in this series ideal family because wherever you're at in your family right now every one of us resonates just a little bit towards carl and ellie I think the reason we are wiping our eyes right now is because deep down we all yearn to have that kind of relationship. We all yearn for that kind of family. A family who, you know what, maybe, maybe there are flat tires and problems and trees coming through the roof, but I would rather go through that with you than with anyone else. And there's that, that part of our nature that says, I want a family like that. And that's why, as a church, we're diving into this series called Ideal Family to, to help us look to the Bible and maybe get some, some ideas and some direction as to how we can live as an ideal family, what that would look like, because we wouldn't be moved by that video if deep down that isn't what we wanted. If deep down we weren't searching for that kind of relationship and that kind of family. That's why that video impacts us. So in this series, Ideal Family, we're looking and we're saying, is it even possible to have an ideal family? And we, we started out last week and uh, we looked a little bit about what the New Testament has to say about family. And if you weren't able to be here last week, on our website, connectwashington.org, you can actually go in and listen to previous week's sermon. So you can listen to last week's message. But if you aren't here, let me recap real quick. We, we basically summed it up. The, the New Testament has some pretty clear teaching on families. And, and really, you could sum it up in these four sentences right here. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't irritate your children. So there, right there, that's kind of the summary of the New Testament and the teaching there. That um, what does an ideal family look like? Well, it kind of looks like that. And Jesus is teaching this, and he's saying, you know what, this is ideal. Let's jump back to that uh, slide one, just for a second here, if we could, because we're going to kind of go through here and just see how ideal we are this morning. So husbands, love your wives and be considerate. And husbands are thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe not the most considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives are like, have you met my husbands? And uh, children, obey your parents. And kids are like, uh, yeah, well, I would if they wouldn't keep telling me to do things I didn't want to do. And uh, fathers, don't irritate your children. The dads are like, hey, my children irritate me. How am I meant to not irritate, you know, and we start going through this list and already we're like, fail, fail, fail. And if that's the ideal, then Dave, and I say this with you this morning, the Jane family, we're kind of here. So we're stuck at real. So Jesus is kind of setting us up here. He's saying, listen, this is the ideal that for most of us families here, I mean, let's be honest, for all of us families here this morning, there's a gap between what's ideal and what's real. And throughout this series, we're going to take a look at that gap between ideal and real and see how we can close that gap, see how we can strive towards ideal without um, getting uh, disheartened because of the reality in which we live. 
Now the good news is this morning that I have a fantastic wife, Casey, sat here in the front row, and uh, she cares a lot about all of you. And she wants you to know that, you know, it would be hard if I was up here just teaching on a subject, making it seem like, wow, that, that is just too high a, a goal to attain to. Dave, you have it all together. You know, how can we have a family like your family? So she decided this week on Facebook just to uh, throw a little picture up on her <laughs> page this week, unbeknownst to me, and I just happened to, to skim by her Facebook page, and I see this picture on her Facebook wall. Uh, the caption beneath the picture was, I guess I'm the only one in this house skilled enough to tackle the task of changing out the toilet paper roll. I had to share this because that particular picture had 48 likes, as well as dozens of comments. Many of those comments were from people sat in this room right now. Come on! There was one lady, uh, she said, lots of ladies from him <laughs> commented on this particular post. I feel your sister. Same here. That's my house. One lady, um, she said, I did an experiment once where I didn't change it in the master bath. I would take the roll with me, then put it back under the sink when I was done. Three weeks! I have no idea what he did during that time. It's a conspiracy! All your wives, your women out there, you're out there trying to trick us men. But So you'll be pleased to know that there's one more person trying to figure out how to strive towards being an ideal family, and that is this guy right here. Because all of us, when we look at that list that Jesus put up there, we say, oh man, I failed there, and I, I'm not up to that mark there, and I'm not... But it's so important not to look at that and say, well, you know what? Because I could never measure up to that, because I could never reach ideal, here's, here's what I'll do. I'll just lower the bar. I'll just say, listen, it's impossible to reach that kind of standard, so I'll just lower the bar, and if we can kind of get here or here, and all the writers of the New Testament, New Testament they cry out to us, no! They say, no, aim for an ideal. Don't lower the bar. Strive for that ideal in your life. Have, a, have it like the North Star that guides you. And you hear this when you say, but Dave, what if I fall short? What if I've already fallen short? I have examples in my own life as a parent or a husband or a wife of how, in, in the context of family, I've already fallen short. Well, Jesus, he realizes that. And this is the truth that we have to hold on to really tightly because there's tension in the truth I'm about to share with you. But we have to hold on to this truth that I shared last week. That is that Jesus taught and pointed towards an ideal, yet he refused to condemn those who fell short. Jesus, you know what? It's crazy. If you read the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the, the earlier part of the Bible before Jesus came to earth, there were lots of rules in place of what, what people who followed God could and couldn't do, should and shouldn't do. And Jesus came and said, hey, listen, not only am I not going to wipe out any of those rules, some of those rules, I'm actually going to make it tougher. And Jesus came and, and he raised the bar. He says, hey, ideal is going to get even higher. But here's the deal. I'm going to raise the bar and the ideal will get higher, the standard will get higher, but my grace, my forgiveness, the, the help that you need from me, that's, that's going to get deeper. So as I'm raising the bar of the ideal, I'm also um, lowering the amount, not lowering, but pouring out more grace for you because you're going to need more grace. You're going to need more ties of forgiveness because we're all going to fall short. 
So this week, I thought week two, we'd, we'd jump into one of those four on that list. So if we can pull that list up just one more time. Um, and I was, I was trying to figure out which one to, to, to talk about this morning. So I thought what I'd do is I'd go with the toughest one of them all. The one that really is kind of politically incorrect. It's the one that nobody can actually believe is in the Bible. The one that nobody likes, especially if you're a woman here this morning. Um, any guesses which one it might be? Yeah, wives submit to your husbands. It's right there in the Bible. And we, we look at that and we think, really? And it's there. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. You can read it right there. Paul's writing to the church. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So it's there in the Bible. You know, when um, Casey and I first got married, I was to make sure that she was aware of this verse. I, I didn't know if she knew it or not. So uh, first day of married life, I, uh, being the biblical scholar that I am, I, I sat her down and said, Casey... Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands. I didn't see her for two weeks. It's true. Then after two weeks, this eye started to open a little bit, and I could see her, like, just... (laughs) I'm kidding. Some of you will get that later. It's a good one. But, um... (laughs) The truth is that many of us husbands, we like that verse. We like kind of... That's one of the ones we memorize, you know. But you know what? That's not written to us husbands. That's, that's written to wives. But we seem to think, oh, no, no, it's my, my job to make sure that this verse is quoted in this. This is a verse to wives. This is between God and the ladies in the room. Do you know what? Husbands, there's plenty of verses in there written to us. There's quite a few commands and challenges in the Bible written to husbands that we should probably focus on a little bit more so. And really, to understand this verse in its wholeness, in its entirety, we've really got to look at the the culture and the context of who Paul was talking to and why he was sharing at at this time. So first, let's just take a look at the context of that time, that time period. We talked a little bit about this last week, that when we read these verses, we have to remember who Paul was writing to at the time, because it, it takes these verses to a whole new dimension when we understand the type of people he was writing to. You see, throughout the New Testament, Jesus had turned the culture on its head, because he kept talking about this thing called love. He says, they will know you are mine by your love for one another. Greatest of these is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is teaching love, love, love. And, and we read these verses and we think it kind of makes sense. But actually, it was blowing that culture up because this was a culture where that wasn't a common practice. You see, back in this time when, when the New Testament was being written, power was the dominant force. You had the Romans that were in charge and they would come in and if they wanted something, they just went in and they took it. They led by power, they led by might and that was the example that was set. The more power you had, the more authority you had, the more you could get. Love didn't come into it. It was, hey, if I'm big enough, that belongs to me. And Jesus comes in and says, listen, you want to know what real power is? Let me tell you about love. Let me tell you the difference that love can make in your life. Jesus reversed this thinking. He said, love demands that you use your power for the sake of others. If you truly understand love, you won't use your power to hurt and abuse and destroy. You'll use it to help. You know, one of the disciples who who spent time with Jesus, he, he wrote a book called Matthew and In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, he recounts a conversation that Jesus is having just on this subject of love and of power. It says as follows, Jesus called them together and said, You know 
that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. And here's Jesus' radical teaching, turning everything around. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the first piece of context that we have to put this verse in. When Paul's saying, wives, submit to your husbands, he's, he's bringing about this new teaching, because submission was something that was brand new in this power-hungry culture. He's saying, hey, listen, love means we're to serve one another, not lord it over one another. And he doesn't just say in that verse, you know, us, us guys, we love that verse, but if we'd read the verse before, we'd discover there's more to this story. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says to everyone, not just wives, he says to husbands and dads and mums and kids, he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. He says, every one of you, you need to submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. It's kind of this idea of mutual submission. Everyone submits to one another. I submit to you, you submit to me, they submit to... Why? Because we deserve it? No, of course not. None of us deserve to be submitted to. But Paul says there, out of our reverence to Christ. So when he's saying, wives, submit to your husbands, it's really just a follow-on to an overarching principle. He's saying, hey, we all need to submit to one another. So wives, you submit to your husbands, and, and he goes on, and, and basically he's just really unpacking this overarching principle that applies to every one of us. So here's the thing. Maybe you're here this morning, and um, you're visiting. It's great to have you here. Maybe you're not at this point. Maybe you've not decided to become a follower of Jesus, and that's great. We love having you here. I hope you and pray you'll come back again and again. Maybe someone invited you, and you came along to check out this new church. Maybe they dragged you along and promised you lunch if you would just come with them. Whatever the reason is you're here this morning, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, the great thing about what I'm about to teach on this morning is you can apply this in your family and it will help your family. They'll get, they'll get better. You'll see the benefits of it in your family, even if you're not a follower of Christ. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, I want to challenge you this morning. This isn't optional. Because that verse says, why do we submit to one another? Out of our reverence to Christ. So what Paul is saying here is no matter who you are in the family, wife, husband, son, daughter, we are all to submit to one another. So what does that look like? What does this phrase mutual submission, what does it look like in our lives? What does it look like in our families? What it looks like is, is us saying, I'm going to leverage my power, my time, my assets, all that I have for your benefit. I'm going to work to help your life because that is the model that Jesus gave for us. That's why, because Jesus has modelled it to us. The least we could do in return is to follow his example. If there was ever someone who didn't need to submit, it was Jesus. He was the uh, Son of God, the creator of all mankind, but he came to earth, instead of to be served, he came to serve. The Bible says in, in John chapter 13, verses 3 to 4, listen to this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So Jesus came to earth knowing his status. He knew that all of this creation was under his power. 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he knew that he hadn't lost his status of power. He knew there was a time when he would go back to heaven and he would sit at the right hand of the Father, the creator of the universe. So he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly all the power that he had. And he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And the Bible says that at that moment, he washed the disciples' feet. He demonstrated to all of us what true submission looks like, what a great model it was of servanthood and just preferring someone and just really loving someone else. Jesus, at that point, modeled a new ideal. A new ideal for us to aspire to, especially in the area of family. One of submission, or in the case of our families together, if you're here as a small family or a large family, um, whatever the context your family looks like this morning, because we discovered last week that every family is different, but that mutual submission is the example that Jesus has set for us. That's the ideal that he wants us to aspire towards. So what does that look like this morning in the context of your families? And I want to get real practical here this morning. I want to help you. And I'm going to send you guys away with some homework this week. You're going to love me for it. Uh, actually, everyone else in your family is going to love you for it if you apply this, okay? Because I want to make it real practical. What is a life of mutual submission? What does that look like in our families? I think it looks like this. It looks like, and it starts with all of us being willing to ask one question. Just one question. What can I do to help? What can I do to help. That's it. It's real simple, real practical, real straightforward. I want husbands to ask this question. I want wives to ask this question. I want kids to be asking this question. And parents are like, Amen. <laughs> what can I do to help? So, I knew I was teaching on this today and I've been working on this message all week. So around Tuesday, um, as I was kind of going through my notes here and studying, I thought, you know what, I, if I'm going to teach on this, I probably should, you know, uh, actually apply this in my life. So I went home Tuesday afternoon and Case was sat there and I, I sat in the chair next to her. I came in and she was just kind of on her laptop and I was like, hey, uh, what can I do to help? <laughs> She's like, what? I was like, what can I do to help? What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, do you need anything? Can I help you? What do you want? What have you done? I'm like, no, no I just... It's... And at that moment, it became very clear where I stood in my relationship of uh, offering help on a regular basis. You know, there was complete... Uh, and I don't think at that point I did get an answer. It was still disbelief of like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, it, it may be... A little shocking when some of you ask this for the first time this week, when you ask your mums and dads, what can I do to help? When you ask your wife, wives, when you ask your husbands, that, it may be a, a, a shock to the system. They may need a little bit of time. You may need to ask this question two or three times before they finally realise you're serious and they can actually uh, maybe come up with some sort of an answer. But it's a proactive way of working at becoming this ideal family. And every one of us can do this. I'm looking forward to seeing the Facebook posts this week. I, I don't know what's going on, but my husband asked me, what can I do to help? I didn't know. I've never been in that position before. So, you know, different comments and, and maybe some great feedback on how all that works. So kids, you can start. I know we've got some young people in here, some teenagers and some middle schoolers here this morning. You can do this. You can ask your parents, hey, what can I do to help? 
It'll be great. You'll come home from school. I'd wait till like Monday or Tuesday. By then, people have forgotten what I spoke about on Sunday. So wait till kind of Monday, Tuesday. Come in from school. Your mum's just there, kind of working away, and you can just say, "Hey, mum, what can I do to help?" It'll be great because you'll be back up in your bedroom before she's finally pulled herself together. Because she's like, "Who are you? And where's my son?" But you know what you could really do? This would be great, okay, pa- kids? If your parents have friends around for dinner, do it then. Okay, they're friends, they're kind of visiting with each other, they're in the dining room, eating a meal, just knock gently on the door and say, Mom, Dad, is there anything I can do to help? And then you can excuse yourself and leave. The people who are with your parents, they'll be like, how do you do it? You're amazing parents, teach me everything you know. This is incredible. But you know, kids, it'll open up a great opportunity and, and they're not going to tell you every time. There's some dads out there that are already thinking up the list in their head. This is great. I need the wall knocked down and the yard mowed. I need the car washed and, and the kids are terrified of asking this question. But you know, they may not give you something every time. But what it does is it says, hey, mom, dad, I want to be able to, to help. I want to be able to do something to help. And this is going to sound crazy this morning, but parents... I want to challenge you. Ask your kids that question this week. There might come a time when the kids are like, yeah! <laughs> kids are looking at mums, kids are looking at dads. But you know what? Ask your kids that question. I know life's crazy. I know you get home from work and the kids have activities, the bedtime routine. It's busy, busy, busy. But just take a moment and, and look your kid in the eye and say, hey, is there anything I can do to help? Is everything okay? Is, is there any area of your life that I can... Um, can help you out with, that I in my power can step in and help you with. The reality is, most parents, most, most kids are going to respond, no, I'm good. But what you're doing, parents, is you're establishing a bridge between you and your kids. What you're doing, parents, is you're saying, listen, I'm really busy doing a lot of important grown-up things. But I'm willing just to press the pause button for a moment here. And get with you and say, hey, listen, is there anything you need? Because that's how important you are to me. This is a challenge for me in my own life. I need to do this with my kids because I know how busy I can get. And I don't want my kids ever to think, oh, dad was too busy, dad. So I want to take moments this week with my kids and say, hey, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can do to help? Just try it. You know what? I think as parents, wouldn't it be great to have a couple of conversations like that with the kids that end up like with a good conversation instead of all those, ah, ah, you know, the kids like, stomping up the stairs and slamming doors and just taking a moment to, to have that conversation with your kids. Wives, I want to challenge you here this morning. If you're a, a wife or a girlfriend and uh, I want you to, to ask the man in your life, say, hey, is there anything I can do to help? Now, you know us men. We're, we're way too proud. We're never going to say yes. We're not. No, no, I've got it. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm good. But while I was in asking this question, what you're doing is you're actually saying, hey, listen, I know that you're really busy and I know you've got uh, a, a big burden, you know, being kind of feeling that you're the leader here in this family and you've got to be the provider or, or whatever, you know, context you find yourself in. And I recognize that. And is there anything I can do to help lighten that burden? Can I help you in any way? It's this whole idea of submitting to one another. And then I've saved the most challenging one for last. Husbands, we need to be asking our wives this question. Is there anything I can do to help? You'll probably get the same response I got on Tuesday afternoon of, what? What do you want? What's the catch here? (laughs) Because maybe it's a question we don't ask very often, but we need to ask. I think some of our wives... 
They, when, when we offer to help, they'll be like, yes, because they're afraid to ask us sometimes for our help. I know in, in my situation, there are, there are things that Case needs help with, and, and she'll ask me, like, ah, oh, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm no good at putting shelves up, and you know, I'm huffing and puffing. You know, we, we get to that point where, why well, don't even want to ask us a question, because there's so much drama that comes with it. And by us saying, hey, is there anything I can do to help? We're opening that up to our wives and saying, listen, I want to help you. I want to make life easier for you. The danger is that when we ask this question, we realize that we will be confronted by our own selfishness based on their response. If they say, yes, actually, I'd like you to do this, you're like, ah. And you're confronted with your own time and your selfishness and all those kind of things. And I've got to be real honest with you this week, and a lot of you know our family, so I can't, you know, get up here and speak like we've got it all together. There's areas of our life that we're, we're learning from in this series as well. And as I was preparing this message, um, I, God really kind of challenged me. He's challenging me on this as I'm going through this series of what it looks like to be an ideal family. Because I'm learning that it doesn't just happen. There's actually, you have to be intentional. There are some things you have to do as mums and dads and husbands and wives to intentionally work at your relationships. I'm discovering that relationships by default sometimes run into trouble. So we have to be working all the time to protect them from trouble. So as I'm working through this, I'm thinking about my biggest fear. Me saying to Casey, is there anything I can do to help? And her saying, well, actually, you could just run to the store for me and pick up this list. That's like the worst job for me to do. I really just, I do not like the Kroger runs and the Walmart runs. I learned a long time ago this valuable lesson. Husbands, I'm going to teach you some really good practical wisdom today. When you're done with the shopping, throw the list away. Okay, because I would come back and she'd go, is this, I thought this was on the list. No, I don't know. I haven't got the list anymore. So I thought I told you to get two boxes. No, no, it wasn't on the you got brown eggs. I'm like, there's other color eggs you can get? I mean, I, they, I, I just, so I would go to the store and it would drive me nuts because she'd have this list of things for me to get and I would be walking around the store and I don't know where anything is in Walmart. Well, in Kroger, that's not enough Walmart. You've got like all sorts of departments all over the store. So I'm, I'm down the food aisle. I'm looking for this and I'm across in the pets food aisle and I'm back over and I'm going around the store and in my head, this is the conversation. This is what God challenged me on this week in my own life. I'm having this conversation. I shouldn't be be doing this. This isn't a good job for Casey to ask me to do because I don't know my way around the store. I don't know where this stuff is. She does. It makes more sense for her to be doing this because she knows where everything is. Me doing this is such hard work because I'm over this side looking and by the end of my trip to Kroger's, I've literally probably walked 10 miles, you know, going the, the crazy route that I've gone to get six items because someone who knew their way around the store could work, you know. And I'm, So in my head, I've always had this thought that when she asked me to do this, I shouldn't do it because I don't know my way around the store. And as I was preparing my message today, this week and I was thinking about this, this thought popped into my minds. Deep down, I'm building all of that on the assumption that I don't like going to the store because I don't know where stuff is. Casey does know where stuff is, so she must love going to the store. (laughs) Deep down, I've been building this misconception that she skips through the aisles with her shopping cart thinking, this is awesome. I can't wait to get to the next aisle. The cereal aisle. Who's going to be on the front of the Wheaties box? This is awesome. There's a new one. <laughs> Look at all the jellies and the different. This is, I love this part of my week. And that she, it's a joy for her because she knows her way around it. And as I prepare my message, this realization crept in. Do you know what? She hates going to the store just as much as you do. 
Now, she may know her way around the store a little bit more, but there's nothing in her that has her skipping. And I checked, and it's true. She doesn't skip through Kroger's. So, it's a task that if I was to take that off of her plate one week, not every week, I mean, let's... let's <laughs> just, just in case Casey's listening real hard. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but when I said, you know, today you could really help me by doing this, that would free me up to get some more stuff done around the house here. Husbands, we, there's a danger that they'll take us up on it. There's a danger that right now as I'm preaching this message, your wife, she's not really taking notes next to you. She's writing a list in the hope that you'll listen to what I'm saying and say, what can I do to help? <laughs> yes, I've got a list! But it's confronting that selfishness in us and saying, you know, I really do want to help. I really do want to help. And as I said this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, as I've been studying this, I don't think we have a choice. Because he's modeled it to us, this idea of submission. Paul says we're to submit to one another out of our reverence to Christ. He's saying this because Christ was the ultimate example of asking the question, what can I do to help? Now, it doesn't specifically say this in the Bible, but I picture this as happening as, as God sending Jesus to the earth and Jesus being here and living amongst us and seeing the hurts and the brokenness of people. Seeing the, the thing that the Bible calls sin separating us from a relationship with God. And I think Jesus saw all of this mess and I think Jesus probably asked God, what can I do to help? And God said, I'll tell you what you can do. You can lay down your life. You can give up your life because that's the only way that a relationship can be restored between mankind and me, Father God. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did to help every one of us. He laid down his life. So what we do, we do out of reverence for Jesus because he did it for us. One of my favorite passages in the Bible can be found in a book called Philippians. It's a letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And he's talking about Jesus to these, these people in this church. He says, listen, do you understand what Jesus did for you? Do you understand what the love that Jesus had for every one of you drove him to do? And as we read these words together here, they'll be up on the screen here. How can we not live in submission to one another? He said, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. That's the standard that's been laid out for us. So in our families, out of reverence for Christ, we should be living a life saying to one another, what can I do to help you? How can I make life better for you? And I realize this morning that that question is going to ring in your heads and some of you are going to try it. And even as you say it, it's just not going to sound right coming out of your mouth. You'll be like, what can I do to help? That that just didn't sound like me. (laughs) Because it won't for many of us. And it might sound a little contrived when you ask it. But it's not so much the question as the attitude of the heart that you're asking it with. Because the more we start to ask these questions the more we'll see the atmosphere in our families change. 
You see, I am so aware this morning, I, I, I know many of you here this morning, and we're talking about ideal family, and we're really kind of talking about some, some broad teaching here, and I know that there are some of you that right now you are in a very complex, difficult family situation. There is conflict going on. There is conflict between parents and children, husbands and wives. And some of you, maybe you're looking for the answers. You're like, Dave, I need to know how to undo this mess. It's like one of those cords. It's just so wrapped up in such a mess. I don't even know where to start. And for some, I don't know that just these answers will help. You may need to get alone with someone that you trust, a, a leader or a pastor or someone like that, and say, will you help us? Will you talk to us? Will you help us work through this mess? But for all of us here, outside of those really in-depth, complex situations, we can all do something with this kind of information. You see, I believe in the whole idea of the deposit and the withdrawal system. You know, if you're constantly making withdrawals and there's nothing in the bank, you're going to get in trouble. If there's nothing there in the bank, it's going it's to cost you. But if you're making deposits on a regular basis, you can afford the odd withdrawal every now and again. What can I do to help as a deposit that we as husbands and dads and kids and mums can be doing on a regular basis to put deposits into that relational bank, deposits into that family bank, helping us to become more like the ideal family that we're striving to be like? By asking that question, what can I do to help? We're saying, hey, listen, I, I may mess up at times. I may, I, I, I've done it twice this week. <laughs> the first time I did it, she didn't believe me. I never asked her to do anything. The second time she realized I was serious and she asked me to do something to help. And the next morning when I was meant to do it, I forgot I was at Best Buy and I was meant to be running a kid to school. So it's, it's going to take some time. We're going to have to work hard at this, you know. And, but I'm, as a dad, as a husband, I want to keep making those deposits into the bank. Because I want to strive towards this ideal family that Jesus and the writer of the New Testament says is there, is that North Star. What are you doing to strive to be like that? Can we pray together? Father, you've, um, you've made it clear in your words that you are not willing to lower the bar because we fall short in so many areas. It would be easy sometimes to say, you know what? They're not perfect. We're not perfect. Let's just make it easier by just making the bar. But no, you say, Lord, Lord, you say, no, I'm going to set the bar high. I'm going to make um, some clear descriptions here in the Bible in the area of submission and, and other areas of what the ideal looks like. In fact, Jesus, you even lived your life proving that the ideal can be attained to. You were the son of God, and yet you chose out of your love for every one of us to come to serve. Because that's what we needed, Lord, to bridge that gap, that relationship gap between us and God. So, Lord, I thank you that when we watched that video clip earlier, every one of us yearns for that kind of family. And I thank you, Lord, that you've not lowered the bar. So help us this week to ask that question of one another. What can I do to help? Help us make some deposits into the relational bank. Help us. And I pray, God, that even if there are families here this morning that are in conflict right now and are having a tough time, they'll notice that actually, without intentionally trying to resolve that conflict, the conflict actually starts to, to dissipate because they're making the investments. They're asking, what can I do to help? And by making the, the positive changes, it helps counteract the negatives that are already there. So Lord, help us, Lord. We're all part of a family in one way or another. Help us strive to be the, the greatest example we can be of the, the ideal family that you um, have pointed out in your scriptures. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming this morning. Um, you know, I, I know we're kind of, I think we're at the, it's week three now of Connect Church. We're a brand new church. This is just our third week, so we're like a, a baby here. We're learning things every week, and I appreciate your patience and your flexibility as we, we learn new things. I see some of you now, we're three weeks into it, and you've been here all three weeks, you're part of a Connect Church. Uh, you know, we've set ourselves up a little bit because we, we've called ourselves Connect Church, so um, that's our desire, that you get connected. We don't want you just to come to visit church or attending on a Sunday church, we want you to be a part of Connect Church. So if you've got those cards and you didn't check the box, check the box and say, I'd like to get connected. There are so many ways, we're going to be talking about small groups here in the very near future, there are ways you can serve here on a Sunday morning in our kids area or in the setup or the worship here. There's lots of opportunities to get more connected. So if you're here and you've enjoyed it over the last few weeks and you're kind of thinking, I, I really think I could be a part of this church, then, then talk to us and we'll tell you how we can get you connected here at Connect Church. But otherwise, don't rush off. Stop and say hi to someone. Make a new friend. Get connected. And we'll see you all back here for week three of Ideal Family. God bless. Have a great week.